Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, The Traditionalist. We are recording on Wednesday, December 29th, 2021, the second of two Anus Haribalis, or maybe that's Ani Haribali. Victor will correct me on that. You were right the first time. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> A great classicist. Victor is the Martin Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, and a voluminous writer, uh, much of which can be found, actually everything he writes can be found at victorhanson.com. Much of what he writes, though, is exclusive to that website. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about COVID, 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 and Anthony Fauci and the president, etc. And we'll get to that right after this important message. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, the traditionalist Victor, as I've told you, you know, I got my booster shot and I think I'd rather have covid the way I'm feeling right now, if this is what the booster does to you, it's ridiculous. Jack, you're doing a blacklist or podcast for saying. That. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess all the pharmaceutical advertisers will pull out. Well, <laughs> let's start talking about Joe Biden. You remember he was going to crush the virus. A little aside here, Victor, there was some photos, photos, even videos of him from this the other day, I don't know it was this weekend, he was on the beach yes. uh, at Rehoboth. This is the beach that where you have a, a beach home on $189,000 a year Senate and vice presidential salary. Somehow or other, you're able to afford multi-million dollar beach homes. And he's walking his dog. I mean, it just looked ridiculous. He's wearing a mask on a beach. Two questions here, Victor. One is, I'm just kind of curious about on international politics and the strength of America, the symbolism of a president looking like a weenie out in public. That's my opinion, how you might feel that plays internationally with some of America's uh, adversaries. And we have many of them. And then, but more importantly, the president said there's no federal solution 
I mean, he's probably right on that. This is the state's responsibility. But this is the man who was going to crush the virus. This is the man who who attacked the vaccines. Victor, what are your thoughts about the recent utterings of Joe Biden? Like the choice of vocabulary, utterings. You know, they have a word, I think it's French, isn't it? It comes from the idea of uh, insulting the emperor, laissez majeste. It means you do not insult your monarch, Jack, as you have. So I would add before I answer. I'm going to go to confession. Yes, that's why you have a reaction to this booster. And well, look, he's on the beach. Is this the 32nd time he's been on vacation? And he's contemplating. He's trying to find out a new strategy. And he's protected by his security fence that he had the government, I think, build around his beach home that may have been in part due to the, you know, the generosity of Hunter as he damned all of the efficacy of any fence on any border. But he has borders around his beach house that have to be protected so that he can contemplate. And he's had a new change of direction during the campaign, as you pointed out, he said he was not going to, you know, defeat the economy and the lockdown, but that he was going to, as you remember, he was going to defeat the virus. Now, why did he say that, Jack? He said that because he came in in January 20th, if you look, the cases and the deaths were going down per day. There had been 17 million people vaccinated. The pharmaceutical companies loved him. We know now that the Pfizer people were delaying evidence about the safety and the efficacy of the second shot until after the election. Even Nate Silver has talked about that. And so he thought everybody was on his side. And Moderna and Pfizer's preliminary reports were it was 96% effective against the Chinese virus, that you're no longer was a Chinese virus. Okay. So he came in and said, I've got Operation Warp Speed. I've got everybody vaccinated. I don't have to do anything but be old Joe Biden, get off my grass, old guy yelling about masks and vaccinations and trashing Trump. While, and remember, Jack, he and Kamala Harris, she more vocally and vociferously so, but he as well had trashed the vaccination during the campaign. They had said, well, you know, if Trump's fingerprints are on it, essentially they said, if his fingerprints are on it, I don't want anything to do with it. It's political. And now it was just, they just flip. And so the vaccination was patriotic. And the federal government has a role to play. And so he was, and we're all going to be back to normal on July 4th. And he thought he'd just, you know, run on an autopilot. The media would take care of business and clean up any little inconsistencies. And that's what happened. And then lo and behold, the Delta virus came, the mutant. And it was a breakthrough mutant in some cases. And it was more, I don't know, contagious, if not as lethal. And then the Omicron variant came. And all of his PR about if you get the vaccination and then Fauci got into the booster and that was going to completely protect you. And then we had these breakthrough cases and it didn't. It did stop people from getting more severely ill or hospitalized, but it didn't do what he said. And then he was going to test everybody. He had about 60 days warning about the Omicron that was coming. And he was bragging, even though he confused the word pill and test, he told us there were going to be, what, 500 million, million test kits available. There are no 500 million test kits. And if there were, what would be the point of it? Because this is mostly a mild vaccination. So in exasperation at his failure and in exasperation that he can't blame it on Trump, or January 6th, or the end of democracy in 2024, or the unfairness of the U.S. Senate, or Build Back Better's failure, he said, you know what, it's not a federal problem anymore, it's the states. That's exactly what he had said Donald Trump had said, which Donald Trump did not. Remember during the campaign, they used this little tricky word, Articles of Confederation, i.e. pre-American. Donald Trump is pre-American. He believes in a state chauvinism without federalism, where the states just do what they can. And now he's adopting the very policies in failure that Donald Trump had done in success. So I guess what I'm saying, Jack, is if you translate all of this mess, it basically is... He's 
sulked off to the beach where he's hiding. And he basically said, you know, I demagogue, demagogue, demagogue this virus. I had help from Fauci and Burks. I had help from the pharmaceutical companies. But in the end, I'm going to quietly adopt the Trump policy of letting individual states determine particular policies without overruling them with federal mandates as Biden failed to get through the courts. And we'll see what happens. And therefore, you know, I can blame them. I, I, we can keep blaming Ron DeSantis. That's their biggest talking point now, even though New York has the highest caseload and hospitalization rate. So that's where he is. He has no character whatsoever. He's enfeebled. He's enfeebled to the degree the media can't protect him anymore because he's out. He's out of the basement and they don't know what to do. And then, Jack, we haven't talked about this and I haven't heard it in the media, but this is very dangerous for the Biden administration because his solid core base of about 20% of the country are Karens. They're anal retentive, they're paranoid, they're neurotic, and they want to go into every house, every basement, every attic, and make sure somebody's got a mask. They want to disrupt you on a flight if you pull down your mask for a minute to eat. I have a granddaughter, special needs. She was with my daughter. She was out, out in the Santa Cruz rural area, and she couldn't breathe, and she gets a meltdown when she can't breathe because she's got Smith-McGinnis syndrome, which is severe, sort of like Downs. And a driver drove up, rolled down the window, and started yelling at her. That's the, his base. So when he says, I can't do anything anymore, I'm sorry. The boost, I can't say the booster is going to prevent you from getting infected like I have said. I can't tell you that masks are going to preserve your, your health. I can't do any of this anymore. And then he said, you don't have to quarantine for 10 days. You only have to quarantine for five days. And they're thinking, what? This is my anal retentive hero. And so he's losing those people. I saw Nicole Wallace. Did you hear what she said? I've, got, I've done everything right. I've got, three, I've got two shots. I've got a booster. I wear a mask all the time. And all my friends got COVID. It's not supposed to happen to us. We played by the, our rules. We're the elite. We're the bicoastal anointed. What happened? So it's dangerous politically for Joe Biden in a way that his enfeeblement apparently wasn't, but this is. Well, Victor brings to mind the thought of villains in this. And much of what the president has said is to vilify the unvaccinated, even though there's ample reasons for any number of people to not be vaccinated because of certain conditions, etc. But there is a villain in this, and it's freaking red China. It's very troubling that the president of the United States makes a point of regularly vilifying the people of America and not the true culprit in this. Absolutely. And what's the bookend of that statement, Jack? The bookend is the architect of giving money to the Wuhan 4 biology lab to engage in gain-of-function research, which was outlawed in the United States. And the funds had to be circumvented through Echo Health and he insists that this virus that doesn't seem to have any animal precedent, that no animal's been affected prior to humans getting it. It's probably just a natural occurring pendulum or something, bat or something. You know, we just had a, I think it was an MIT virologist and scientist tell the UK parliament that that was not right, that it was engineered. And the fact that it's mutating so quickly and, and so differently in many cases has got a lot of scientists quietly saying, quietly in blogs and things, this came out of that lab. The people around Joe Biden are neurotic. They're scared. And they know that China is at the bottom of all this. They know that China has ways of punishing them. They know they're friends of both parties, both political persuasions in New York, in Washington, in Silicon Valley are so embedded within the Chinese mesh of profiteering that they can't really say anything. And so that's where they are. And they're afraid of China, what it will do on Hong Kong, what it will do on Taiwan, because they understand that they have demoralized the military. They're going to try to cut the budget. They feel that the military is a social justice organization. They understand that only 45% have recently pulled. They have confidence or trust in the military. So whether it's getting tough on the virus 
are admitting that during this crisis that never went to waste for the Chinese, they have made a lot of money and they have captured greater market share and they have greater plus columns and their balance of payments and financial reserves. They've gone through this like bandits and he knows that and militarily they've been muscular. So he cannot face that fact. So he just puts it aside and says that anybody mentions China, that's what the left does is xenophobic or racist. And then there's a final thing that transcends Joe Biden, Jack, and that is it's one thing to make fun and spin conspiracy theories about the thug Vladimir Putin. He's got that funny accent. He's white. We all see the Russian villain in Hollywood movies with all the, you know, orthodox crosses tattooed on their back and this stuff. Okay. And he is a thug. He, you know, he went into Crimea and Ukraine, you know, kills people. Okay. But he's a piker compared to the Chinese. They have so many more resources at their disposal. And Putin's not a communist. He's an autocrat, a tyrant. But the Communist Party is totalitarian. It has a much greater interest and ability to invade the private thoughts and lives of people worldwide. And so he knows that it's a formidable enemy. He knows it's a so-called marginalized people. <laughs> the most racist nation probably in the world is China today. It hates diversity. It hates inclusion. It hates equity. And yeah. yet he won't say a word about them because, you know, Joe Biden came out of the 60s when everybody in the campus dorm wore his little Mao hat and red star and his T-shirt and had Che and Mao and Castro as their pantheon on their dorm wall. And then they got into the diversity and affirmative action and Asian people were not white. And so, you know, it was just a stereotype and it was a stereotype about Putin. And that, that's behind a lot of this asymmetrical treatment that we do not look at, deal with the existential threat and then right. and then we obsess and obsess and obsess over the collateral threat yeah well he grew up in a time of boris badenoff and, and bullwinkle we're uh, rocking it on television so maybe that's where where uh, joe's head is still at victor first i'd like to remind our listeners again about victorhanson.com that's your website the blade of perseus and this is a significant amount of exclusive content there. do recommend people to visit it, try a month of it, $5. It's a copious amount of original content written by Victor that you can only find there. $50 for the year. Well, well worth it. Victor, let's keep on vaccines, if you don't mind. So a couple of things. This has to do with vaccine bias. First of all, I wonder if vaccine is even the right... I mean, I'm, I'm glad... Whatever was invented was invented. Okay, it was invented. Therapy. I think the word is gene therapy. No other vaccine operates as poorly as this, so it should be in its own category, not maybe the, uh, akin to a polio vaccine, etc. But Victor, there is this now push to vaccinate five to eleven-year-olds. So two things on this: one is the mental health problems that our kids have faced over the last two years. And finally, the, the, you know, the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, he admitted to it. And yeah, it's not just a medical, well, I think less a medical crisis, but clearly a mental health crisis for kids. I was watching Mark Levin's show, and he had on uh, Harvey Risch, who's a renowned epidemiologist uh, from Yale, who makes some points like, you know, the idea is more of a risk to a kid so why are we doing this? Why would we even consider doing this if there's greater harm to get at the nut? He also threw out some number that 450 kids, and by that means kids five years old to 18, died not only from COVID, but with COVID. So many who of that very, very tiny number of the 450, only a small number of those 450 died from COVID. Some of them died with COVID. Maybe they were hyper obese kids who, you know, who uh, got it. Anyway, Victor, this a uh, bias for the vaccine. It's almost every aspect 
of our discussion of the disease for the last two years. So you're right, it go, it's targeted at children now because Jack, that's the last frontier market, isn't it? They've vaccinated everybody they think they can vaccinate, about 70% of the population. The last 30%, and I wanna state clearly again, that although the left and the pharmaceuticals and the Biden administration say it's the quote unquote white community that's resistant, i.e. those Trump supporters up in the hills of Appalachia, if you actually look at the number of people of color, African-American or, or Latino, they have a, I think in the Latino community, it's slightly less vaccinated than the so-called white community and the African-American much more so. And of course, your Karens will say, well, those people aren't really part of our community. They're just a bunch of deplorables. But we're talking in collectives now, then it's no more accurate or inaccurate to say there's a collective white than a black or a Latino community. So my point is, first of all, that was a lie. Second of all, they want to look at this pristine market where there's a lot of young kids that they can get, you know, even if there's only 30%, that's billions of dollars of profits. Okay, that's one thing. And then second is the hypocrisy of the science. The science. They keep quoting the science. And we know now, we know now that if you're under 18, the chances of dying from COVID are getting very ill, especially if you're young males, versus the chances of getting ill or dying from the vaccination are not that much different. The third thing is, and you've mentioned this, is that when you focus on vaccinations, it would be as if this is the flu season, which it is, and we're saying vaccination, vaccination, and we do that. But we also have been telling people for 10 years, take Tamiflu, stay in bed, take aspirin, take Tylenol, take Advil, build up your immune system. Take, they, they, there was all these therapeutic emphases. Have you noticed there's almost none? And yet the Biden administration and the left have deprecated all this. Everything that you might take to ameliorate the symptoms of COVID or give you a slightly, even a slightly greater chance of not getting it has been lumped together as you're a hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin nut. And even those drugs, if you look at scientifically peer-reviewed studies throughout the world, people outside the United States see some efficacy in them if you take them earlier enough. But in addition to that, and I, I was looking the other day at all of the off-label uses of particular drugs that have some efficacy. And what if it's only 5%, 6%? What if you, and they're not harmful drugs. And we know that zinc is one of them. Getting your vitamin D levels up to 50 or above is one way. The flavoid, flavoid quercetin, maybe 500 milligrams, one big tablet a day has some efficacy. We made fun of Pepsi. It looks like some of the studies show is of sub advantage. Uh, a lot of people have found that Singular will stop the overreaction uh, as it involves swelling in the lungs. We know that uh, Aspro spray or Azeseltine, I think it's called, it's an antihistamine, has some efficacy. I'm not suggesting that these are magic bullets. And this is in addition to the ones that have proven efficacy like monoclonal antibodies, which what are out of supply now in Texas, and they were held back from Florida, as well as Regeneron. And so what I'm getting at, there's a whole group of things that if the president should say this, we want you to get vaccinated. If you are over 60, 65, whatever the science says, we're making it optional for children. If you really feel that you want to, here's the science on it, here's the data. But in the meantime, we're going to ensure that there is a monoclonal antibody center almost anywhere you want it. We're going to have these other drugs available. And here, I'm going to turn it over now to my science officers. He's going to survey all of these other scientific studies. They don't do that. They do not do that. It's just anti-science, it's big pharma, and it's demonization. And then finally, they have really, really hurt the country in downplaying, if not rejecting, an ancient idea in medicine that goes back to Hippocrates, and that's immunity. People talk about it in the plague, the second book of Thucydides, that people who got the plague did not get it twice. And everybody understands that many viruses 
and some bacteria that once you get it, the immune system's tipped off. It's not that it can't come back again and again in case of the flu or the cold, but a particular strain has a difficult time and other strains might have somewhat difficult time coming back in. Okay, so we have all these people, maybe is it 50 million Americans who've had acquired immunity? And there's a lot of studies that say, well, maybe it doesn't last any longer than artificial vaccinated immunity, but it is in many cases as good or as bad. And what they do is when you look at the stories, they say, oh, there were break people that have had COVID Delta, they're not protected from Omicron. And you think, okay, are people that are vaccinated? They're not either necessarily. And so we just totally downplayed that. And we have disenfranchised thousands of people in the military, the federal workforce, people who are tourists in New York and want to take their kids that have had COVID into a restaurant. Why couldn't we have just done this? Everybody has an app. You can go to a Quest lab. You can get an antibody test. And let's just take a figure. If you're over 1,500 antibody level, then that is equivalent to a vaccination. You're going to say, well, people could cheat. Well, what do you think you're doing with the Moderna? And the Pfizer little paper cards that are a joke. And so we don't do that. And why don't we do that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what's got John Trump. Everybody makes fun of him. But the guy got out of the hospital, Jack. Remember the first thing he said? Antibodies. Everybody's fantastic. Lifesavers. And then Regeneron, help me. Great, great. And then we learned that he was taking zinc. And I think he even took Pepsi or something. So he got out in three days and he was in there. He went in there with 102 temperature in his lungs. I mean, the virus already there. So there was, he talked up therapeutics and we have, we just, we that just That was make, the problem. Yeah, you're right about that. And then finally, there was this weaponization of the whole epidemic from the very beginning. No sooner had he bragged that Operation Warp Speed would be available before the election, then Pfizer just announced, well, okay, we'll have an announcement in late October, i.e., yes, it will be. But then we now know that people associated with the board at Pfizer were communicating with the Biden people. And Biden seemed to know the progress of the, the vaccinations rollout more than they did the president of the United States. And then they announced on the EV election, sorry, it's not going to be here in time. And then after the election, they had about a week later, oh, it's coming. And so then we had... You remember the, was it 1,000 or 1,200 health professionals right after the George Floyd death? They came out with this crazy scientific letter, and that is, we, the health professionals, you know, and the various names, over 1,000, said, it's okay to go out there and violate mask wearing, social distancing, spraying your saliva in front of, basically, and protest and scream and yell, because if you didn't do it, it wouldn't be healthy for your mental health. And that just destroyed, right there, destroyed most of the public confidence in the idea there was a uniform, systematic uh, application of mask wearing and social distancing, because it was political. And then we had Hillary Clinton say, you know, this never let a crisis go to waste. We can get single payer health care. We had Klaus Schwab and the crazy Davos, COVID and the Re Great Reset. This is a chance to get through the Great Reset. Then we had Gavin Newsom. This is a chance to get more progressive capitalism. Then we had Jane Fonda. This is it's a gift from God. It helped us get rid of Donald Trump. And then we had 102 mail-in ballots, 102 million mail-in ballots. 64% of the electorate. And this virus was weaponized from the very beginning. And all we had to do was say, here's the science, here's the choices, here's the alternatives. You live in a state, you know much more about your demography, your health status than we do in Washington. We're going to help you. You tell us what you need, we will get it to you. We couldn't do that. Instead, we turned it all over to the political class in Washington and the big pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, to out essentially outlaw the use of approved drugs. I don't know if that's ever happened in uh, in American history before, Victor, but it let's... Didn't with AIDS, did it? it didn't with AIDS, Jack. Remember the Dallas buying club and the Hollywood glorification that there were people 
in the gay community that were dying from AIDS, pressuring the FDA and getting them from Europe, and they survived. And then there was no vaccine. They tried, they tried to tell the community, well, you have to wait for a vaccination. And they said, no way, we'll all die. And they put enormous pressure. I'm glad they did. And they found pharmaceuticals and there were underground pharma groups, buyers, guilds, and there was an entire literature that these are off-label uses of some drugs that can keep us alive until we get and then AZT. And they put the pressure on uh, the FDA to allow fast tracking of pharmaceuticals and to just forget about uh, looking for the magic bullet of an AIDS vaccination while millions of people were threatened with death. And so I thought that that was sort of the protocol, but then we just forgot about that. Well, Victor, you mentioned earlier the undermining of the confidence of the American people in uh, how this uh, pandemic has been addressed. And here we have uh, recently in the last few the last week or so, Anthony Fauci on, on the boob tube, a couple of things. One, advocating. Well, he, you know, he's very cagey, very Jesuitical, which is to be expected for a guy that went to Jesuit schools that you may need to get you know, vaccinated in order to fly. Then he backtracked on that. This is insanity. Anyway, Victor, any final thoughts? He's a moth and the pain of notoriety and publicity, and he can't resist it. So the guy wakes up every morning and he looks at his phone and he said, do I get on MSNBC, Network News, PBS, CNN? I got to go. Nobody ever thinks if you're the nation's get to go to the guy in COVID, why do you spend so many hours a day on television? Couldn't you just go into your office and shut the door and get on your computer and read, 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 read every day about breakthroughs and COVID treatments and then get on the Zoom and for one hour call all of your supporters in the medical community and then hang up on them and then go call all of your opponents, call Jay Bacharia at Stanford, John Yanides, Michael Avet at Stanford, instead of demonizing them behind their backs and stealthy emails, why couldn't you do that and get a whole plethora of opinions across the spectrum and then once a week go on television? He can't do that. He's 80 years old and his, and his mentality is I'm fading into the sunset and I'm going to defeat this virus by being on television and constantly resetting and recalibrating what I said the day before. And his fatal flaw was, this is a mutating virus, and we don't know much about it for all of our impressive science and ABC degrees after our name. And we don't know anything really about it. And so whether it's the original variant or the Delta or the Omicron or the Pi or the Rho or the Sigma that will inevitably follow, we don't know anything about it. So anybody who says this is what does, this mass will, is not telling you the truth. He never shows any indication of honest skepticism. He never says, I think we should all get vaccinated, but the science says if you've had naturally acquired immunity from COVID, I don't know enough to tell you whether that's equivalent or not equivalent. He operates, in other words, by the platonic noble lie. He always has. He said he has. He said that he told people not to wear masks in the very beginning. And he said he's told them that so they would all, like lemmings, not go out and rush the mass market, and then the people who should wear them would be short. And then he said that 60, 70, 80, 90%, you pick a percentage, he said it, was necessary for herd immunity. And basically, the graph of his mind worked as if the more people who are getting vaccinated, the more I'm going to up the people that are needed to be vaccinated in terms of percentages. And I'm going to do that because these ignorant, stupid Americans might be complacent and not get vaccinated thinking that we have herd immunity. So I'm going to scare the blank out of them and then they will get vaccinated. And then if the vaccination is not as, I don't know, doesn't have the efficacy that I thought it would, then it was only because not enough people are being vaccinated. And he never asked himself, what's my credibility now? If I told yeah. a person not to wear a mask, 
And then I told them to wear a mask. And then I told them to wear two masks. If I told them, got to get vaccinated so we can get 60%, no, 70, no, 80, 90% of the population. What's my credibility now? What is my credibility when I'm communicating with the CDC about how basically to demonize three or four Stanford epidemiologists whose research and credentials are all more impressive? He has an illustrious record guiding us through various epidemics. But at 80, I don't want to tax his formidable powers and, and expertise any longer. He made him into a romantic anti-Trump figure. Right. And Fauci's not stupid. He was going on both networks, Fox, CNN, da, da, da. And then as soon as he put his finger in the wind and looked at the polls and thought and looked at what the left was saying, that they were going to have a new absentee ballot election, he started to make the necessary adjustments. So he just gravitated over to a man as a man of the left, stayed on the cable, left-wing shows, network news, public television. That's what he did. And he became a partisan. And he became more popular because of that, at least among some circles that were very influential in the corporate world, the media world, the Silicon Valley. He's got no integrity. I'm not, I'm not trying to deprecate or defame his past work. I grew up with what, and of course, he said things during the AIDS epidemic that were absolutely preposterous at the beginning. But nevertheless, he should retire. Well, Victor, we have one more thing to talk about on today's episode of The Traditionalist, and that is Project Veritas and its battle with the New York Times. And we'll get to that right after this important message. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the traditionalist recording on December 29th, 2021. Another stinker of a year, almost in the books. Hopefully the following one will be better. It might be very well better from my perspective, a conservative Republican. We'll see that play out hopefully in later November. So Victor James O'Keefe and Project Veritas is waging legal battle with the New York Times and has the Times has suffered a setback that it must destroy any number of evidence and reports that it has on a piece that it did on, on Project Veritas, which the project is suing the New York Times for defamation. Some New York state court has temporarily upheld this recent ruling against the New York Times. But Victor, two things, anything your thoughts about this specific case, and maybe even more broadly, how if we take Kenosha, we take what happened with the Covington kids, you know, beating up of, I work for, as you know, I was the publisher of a magazine. I take, I don't like uh, lawsuits against magazines, but when you defame, you defame. And anyway, this case against the Times is clearly a, a, an eyebrow raiser that this decision came down against them. What are your thoughts, Victor? Well, First of all, the New York Times doesn't consider Project Veritas a news organization. And that's very ironic because the left has idolized and canonized the Mike Wallace dash 60 minutes modality of journalism. We all grew up on that, Jack. Remember Mike Wallace be walking down the street and he would see some black uh, hatted mustache villain from some corporation and he would say, hi, I'm Mike Wallace. And then right on the street, he'd pop a question. And then his background, they would have kind of a blurry image and there would be some CBS person that would be posing as somebody he wasn't. And that's what James O'Keefe modeled himself after. He is 60 minutes of the right. He tries to ambush people in the sense he goes up to them and tries to ask embarrassing questions, or he has secret cameras the way that CBS did. They would bring somebody in the room and then they would get person to confess something off the record. 
And so they don't like tit for tat. They don't like the boomerang. They're angry about that. And they want to destroy the guy because he's been very effective, whether it was abortion, hypocrisies, or election hypocrisies, or anything. That's the first thing. Number two is the New York Times, it's not a media organization, does not believe in disinterested coverage. There were people in the New York Times, I think Jim Rutenberg, who said we cannot be disinterested anymore. In the same way that Jorge Ramos said that at Univision, same way that Christian Alampour said that at CNN, Donald Trump poses such an existential threat, we are not going to be disinterested. That was the meme that got Mark Zuckerberg to give $419 million to try to weigh the scales, tip the scales, and precincts that he thought needed greater turnout to win these swing states. Okay, so what they did with him is they demonized this guy. And then Merrick Garland thought, you know, Joe Biden's diary, daughter's diary is missed. That's my job. I'm a Praetorian. My job is to protect the president. And, you know, I have other responsibilities. I go in and infiltrate parents groups, uh, you know, in Virginia to make sure that they're not criticizing critical race theory too much. And I'll show up uh, at a kidnap, so-called kidnap plotter meeting in Michigan. And I have more FBI informants than I do plotters. And who knows how many FBI people were in the crowd in January 6th. But that's what the FBI under James Comey and Andrew McCabe and now Mr. Ray is. Okay. And so they went after Project Veritas and they went in the middle, the early hours of the morning. They they confiscated all of his goods. How did it happen, Jack? How did it happen that all of a sudden the New York Times is publishing the confidential correspondence, client, attorney, I thought there was such a thing called a relationship that was immune from subpoenas of that information. So the Times of all people published the private correspondence between O'Keefe and his lawyers prior to this that advised him, if you're going to do ambush journalism, i.e. CBS 60 Minutes journalism, this is the rules you got to play by to protect yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. There was something terribly wrong in the New York Times publishing that, at the same time was defaming him for not publishing, but considering to publish the diary of Joe Biden's daughter. So they were after him for a thought crime. How did you get possession of something that you decided not to publish when we published something that we got possession of? And we're not gonna tell you that we got possession and we're not gonna tell you how we got possession of it. And we're not going to tell you if whether we corresponded with the FBI or not knew exactly when they were going to go in Roger Stone fashion into your house. So there was so much hypocrisy there that the New York Times is flabbergasted. And the judge was flabbergasted. So he said, give back Mr. O'Keefe's confidential records that somehow ended up in your possession and how they ended up in their possession, you know, who knows, but the FBI did raid and confiscate his private correspondence and documents on electric, you know, appurtenances. Okay. And that's what the judge said to them. So now we have this weird thing where the New York Times is being sued by O'Keefe and the first round successfully, because the New York Times has had to vomit back all of the things that they somehow got. And yet they're in the position of saying, we want to know how you got this diary. We want to know how you did it. And this is not good because, and what was on the diary? We've had some leaks. The daughter, maybe wrongly or rightly, or maybe it was fabric, who knows? But she said that she was too young to be taking showers or too old to be taking showers with her father. She confessed that she was addicted to sex. She's got a lot of embarrassing things. I don't think they're embarrassed anymore because after Hunter and the Biden syndicate, anybody believes anything about the Bidens and Tara Reid and all that. But nevertheless, the New York Times is a Praetorian organization whose mission, like the FBI, is to protect Joe Biden. And this occurs, Jack, in a very new climate. I don't know if it's because there's different judges or people have reached a saturation point. But we have Eric Prince filing a big lawsuit against The Intercept for character defamation. Remember, everybody laughed at 
Devin Nunes when he sued because Washington, was it the Washington Post sent a reporter out to Iowa to follow around his parents and his relatives. And then they wrote all this lurid things about the Nunes family that were all inaccurate. He sued and they said, oh, you can't sue your Congress. And he won the first round, partially at least. So I think this is very valuable. And you're going to see more and more and more and more of these lawsuits. And I think it's going to send a message to the New York Times and the Washington Post and all of these organizations that we don't consider you news organizations anymore. You're megaphones for progressive ideas. Anytime there is a talking point among the left, you get the email and then you rush into your mode. And what is the mode? Remember, Jack, when Joe Biden's uh, popularity hit 39 about a month ago, yep. suddenly... Democracy will die in 2022. Democracy is going to die maybe in 2024 right. because Joe Biden and the left are going to get clobbered. They were fearing. So they wanted to say this system had been destroyed by Donald Trump because Donald Trump and the January 6th themes were stale. And then all of a sudden they got the military. Suddenly out of the blue, these three generals and others said, there's going to be a coup, 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 coup. Not just democracy, that was stale. So then they went on to coup, coup, coup. And then Joe Manchin bucked the consensus. And he stopped, quote, unquote, build back better. And did they canonize him and deify him as they had John McCain for being the maverick senator with enough guts to buck his party and stop any changes? No. They said he was an absolute racist, a nut. And what did the media do? Next thing we knew, op-ed, article, is the U.S. Senate unequal? Is there any equity left in our system? Why does a Wyoming person get a senator for every 250,000 residents in California gas to have 20 million? It's not fair, i.e. the U.S. Constitution and the whole idea of a constitutional republic has got to go. Well, that was only because of Joe Manchin. So... What's the new talking point this week from this phony, crooked media? It's a couple of things I've noticed. One is maybe any of those Congress people who communicated after January 6th were part of an insurrection. And there is a federal law that says any congressman who engages in insurrection can be thrown out of office. So maybe I think that was Mark Elias who was tweeting, well, now we're going to go after these Congress people. So that's the meme that we're hearing now. And they always do this. Every time they think up something, they get the media in and they saturate the news cycle. And so that's why they've had no credibility. This is the media. If you were to believe, Jack, everything in 2021, as we look back at this year, at the end of this year, we look back at it, you would have had to believe the following as true. You would have had to believe that Hunter Biden's laptop was completely fabricated. It was just made, even though Hunter said he didn't know whether it's his or not. That's what we were told. You would have had to believe until he was convicted that Juicy Smollett was still a victim of some type of racism. They still were peddling that thing. Right. You would have had to believe that natural immunity had no efficacy. You would have had to believe that a bat or a pangolin was really the prime culprit. You would have had to believe that Andrew Cuomo was a professional, gifted, brilliant governor, and his brother Chris was not only entertaining, but also professional and brilliant, Chris Cuomo. And I could go on whether it's critical race theory was not being taught in the schools. Don't worry about that. And then they created this new word. Remember, it's called a Russian hoax hoax. And that is the, the idea that this whole thing, the correct idea was cooked up and this, the dossier is completely discredited is now, well, there were things other than the dossier. Trump said at a press conference, maybe the Russians can help us find ha-ha, Hillary's right. private. Well, that's a hoax then. The Russian hoax is a hoax. Right. And that's a media man. And that's what they do. So they don't deserve our credibility anymore. And they play a very dangerous role. I look at CNN and I think, wow, are they going to have a commentator hold up ahead of Donald Trump facsimile? Right. Or are they going to have one of the religious editors say that he's a piece of SHIT? Or are they going to have Anderson Cooper saying, if I put a bunch of crap on your table, would you still support Donald Trump? 
I got big criticism for the late chef Anthony Bourdain quoting that he's had when asked CNN contributor, right. what would you do if you had to cook a meal for Donald Trump? And he laughed about poisoning him. How many people at CNN have been fired for false reporting during the Russian hoax? I think two teams of three reporters. Remember, we were told all of these bombshells were going to happen and walls were closing in, the dream right. team stuff. And now what do we have? We find out that Jake Tapper's producer is what, Jack? Is he a pedophile, pedorist, or what? I think and it was Cuomo's, yeah. I thought it was Jake Tapper's at CNN as well. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. It runs in the runs in the network. Yeah. Well, Victor, and let's not forget CNN. Didn't they spend a month about that conspiracy theory that that airplane? Remember, it was like 10 years ago, that, that Indonesia flight. They just met Don Lamont. Yeah. That was telling us that this was the greatest story of the year. And he had little charts with arrows all around. And it was sort of like the Bermuda Triangle every five five miles. There was a new Bermuda Triangle that yeah. swallowed up yeah. this plane. It's almost it's competing with uh, the History Channel's uh, ancient aliens kind of fair. Well, anyway, Victor, that's almost all the time we have today. A little business to attend to. We have a nice comment from uh, Kimachka62. This is on iTunes and we retain a five-star average rating. And the best you can do is five stars. Thank those people who leave a review at iTunes and those who uh, leave comments, especially those who criticize Fowler's uh, uh, poor handling of his job. But here's a nice note from Kamachka 62 who is an admitted Hanson hoarder. Thank you very much again for a great podcast, the discussion between Dr. Hanson and Sammy, Sammy Wink, who hosts The Culturalist, was very enlightening to me as far as why the American Jewish people are drawn to voting with the Democratic Party. I'm a conservative who converted to Judaism about 20 years ago. My husband at that time was a Russian Jew. In order to raise my daughter in a Jewish home, what VDH said about the secularism of American Jews is right on the money in my experience Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Kamachka62. Hey, I'm Jack Fowler. I am the director of the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, where we try to strengthen civil society. So you can visit that, centerforcivilsociety.com, find out more about that. And I write a weekly email newsletter, free, doesn't ask you to do anything, doesn't ask you to spend any money. It just gives a dozen worthwhile links and excerpts of worthwhile articles that are out there. That's called Civil Thoughts, and you can find that. Sign up at civilthoughts.com. Again, Victor's website is Victor Hanson, S-O-N, the Swedish way, victorhanson.com. Hope I said that right, Victor. And subscribe. You'll find links to his books, still the bestseller, the Dying Citizen. If you haven't gotten it yet, do consider that. So that's all the time we have today. And we thank our listeners for listening. And thank you, Victor, for all the wisdom you shared. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hansen Show, The Traditionalist. Thank you. Thank everybody for listening. 